And I'm Karen Wright. It is 9.33, and I've got a guest today for our Master Gardener Gardening with Barb. This morning, it is Gardening with Shane and Karen, and I'm a Master Gardener, too. Shane, are you officially a Master Gardener? Well, I, you know, I coordinate the Master Gardeners for this county, Blue Earth County, and then Lesseur County as well, but uh, I did take the core course, so, you know, I kind of took the... I took the boot camp, so to speak, but uh, not officially. It's really hard with my job. Sometimes work could count as volunteer and not. And yeah, so it's kind of one of those situations. So you, Shane, is the extension agent for mm-hmm. Lesseur and Blue Earth counties. Yep. And have been there for a number of years. 2017, yeah. So my job uh, incorporates uh, master gardeners, like I mentioned, uh, horticulture, agriculture, natural resources, kind of a lot of times, if anything uh, has to do with a living thing or soil, they'll call the office and we'll we'll help them out. Well, that's what I was, you know, Barb and I, when we do our show, we always say, if you have further questions, contact your extension agent, mm-hmm. which is you. So we talk about this Shane person all the time, right? <laughs> I, hope, like, I hope it's good things. Well, <laughs> well, hopefully some of them have followed up and called yeah, you. Yeah. But what are some of the most common things you get in as an extension agent right. in your position? Right. So in because I deal with two counties, uh, one county, Blue Earth County, you know, we have Mankato. We have a large population center. So a lot of the calls might even be different uh, coming from different counties. So, for instance, Blue Earth County, a lot of the calls that I get relate to trees. Oh. So we get a lot of calls to the office about trees. And and, and one of the things is is people might have bought something and it didn't go very well. It ended up getting sick and dying. And a lot of times uh, it's not easy to find somebody that isn't going to charge you uh, to talk to diagnose. So a lot of times I can fill that role to some extent. Other times farmers are interested about financial uh, information from the university that does a great job collecting research. Uh, And then again, a lot of times people just call about uh, what type of plant to pick or, you know, why are my hostas being attacked by some mysterious creature? And, you know, we can kind of go on from there. But Well, uh, from from what I've I've heard at the State Fair, when the extension people are there, the master gardeners, the biggest question is about Japanese beetles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you get those too? Yeah, we got, uh, you know, when I first got here, it was present in Blue Earth County, but it was still kind of, you know, there was a lot of count. In it was early because right. I, I remember not seeing them all of a sudden one year. Uh-huh. I'm like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it, it kind of is a gradual thing. It was odd for me because I was born in Ohio, Southeast Ohio, mm-hmm. and I grew up in Iowa. But so I kind of knew what Japanese beetles oh, were because, you know, were they were introduced to the United States around 19, early 1900s. It Why was, and how? So the theory is, uh, and a lot of times with invasive species, you're not 100% sure about how they got in. But one of the theories that I kind of think is interesting is, uh, I believe it was a greenhouse in the East Coast, maybe got a uh, iris uh, that was had some grubs in the soil that it came with. Uh, that's possible. The possibly. Japanese beetle Yeah, grubs. Japanese beetle grubs that may have entered the United States that way. Uh, but that's, that's not unique. A lot of times there can be some odd... Um, ways invasive species can get into the United States. Well, and some of them, in fact, have been introduced, like the Asian lady beetle. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that brought here yeah. to combat the aphid problem right, and soybeans right. and things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, we could spend probably another four hours talking about <laughs> invasive species, what it means, what the definition is. And there's been a couple articles recently released on uh, on the Internet that have gotten some traction. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where 
we have a changing climate. We have things that are, you know, feeling more comfortable outside of their ranges. You can look at emerald ash borer for that. And that um, is now here. Yes, that is in Blue Earth County. Just recently was discovered in Nicolette County as well. Uh, so that's another one of my major calls that I get is about, um, you know, who do I contact? What chemicals are available or treatments? Uh, replacement trees, because a lot of ash trees are... They're great landscape trees. They're very adaptable. So people are looking to try to... Replace them, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know the city is actually has a plan to remove right. a lot of them because mm -hmm. I don't know what the wisdom was back then because after we had the Dutch elm disease right. and lost entire boulevards mm -hmm. of trees, what was the thinking when they planted entire boulevards of the same tree of ash, right. you know, and something right. comes along. Yeah. And I know they've got a plan to actually remove a number mm -hmm. of them. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the things I deal with a lot of times. Uh, so the good news is that a lot of times communities can apply for funds to combat emerald ash borer through the Department of Agriculture here in Minnesota. But if you are a maybe a person who lives outside a city limit or you're kind of in between some of those areas, there's no pot of money that can go into treating your tree or removing your tree. So that's kind of one of the challenges that I've noticed when I've been helping folks out regarding this. Um, but yeah, and I think the list of trees that do super duper well in a residential or urban setting is not a big list. Um, so losing ash trees uh, is really a big challenge for communities and cities and rural residents. Okay, so here's an example. I have one ash tree in my backyard and because I've got pretty diverse in my yard. Mm -hmm. You've been there before, I yeah. think. And mm -hmm. and this one ash tree. So it's not, it's, it's probably good size because it's probably about maybe 15, 18 years old or so. Mm -hmm. Should I just cut my losses and cut it down? That's what my husband and right. I have been thinking. Just cut it down. We've got enough other trees, you know, the, around right. and not have to deal with... Because the emerald ash borer is probably going to come eventually. Right. Yeah, so you're going to have to make some hard decisions. Uh, so kind of the one of the ways I walk th people through whether they should treat or remove is the tree. If it were to fall down, Karen, would it damage property? Would it hurt people or animals? Um, then in that case, you know, removing it is an option. Uh, sometimes if people have big wooded lots kind of in the middle of nowhere, a lot of times it's okay to let those just die naturally. It could serve as some wildlife habitat for a while, as long as it's not going to fall and hurt anybody or damage any property. Well, the thought we're having is since it's not too big, because we have had big trees removed and it can be upwards of $3,000. Right. Yes. So maybe we can cut it down ourselves yep. and save us a lot yep. of money later. Mm -hmm. That's one thought. That's one thought. Yeah. And I, I, the other uh, option is waiting to cut if you wait until the tree is very sick and old and about to fall down, it can be more dangerous right. if you were to try to remove it on your own. So a lot of times making your decision earlier is better than making it later. So Let's talk about treatment because mm -hmm. I, I would say if that was a major source of shade, it was otherwise healthy that you know mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. and maybe it's one of your only trees then maybe may and if it's a large one do you want to treat it then and how much does it cost to treat and how right. i guess invasive is it in terms of how much you have to do it right yeah so there's thankfully knock on wood a lot of the treatments that uh arborists and, and other tree professionals use are pretty effective at preventing infestations of emerald ash borer so there's a few um, really good products that have two to three year 
protection. But does somebody else have to, to do that? Or yes. Can you, it's, so it's not a do-it-yourself. The, there are products you can do it yourself with, but a lot of times the tree has to be on the small side. Oh. The, the diameter has to be less than 15 inches or so. So kind of the, the smaller trees you can treat yourself. When you get past that, strongly, strongly recommend contacting a certified arborist or contacting somebody with uh, the appropriate pesticide licenses, depending on what product they're applying. A lot of times it'll be injected into a tree. And um, as far as costs go, that could be, uh, the, the rate might differ between companies in general, about eight to $10 per diameter inch. inch. Okay, so which 10 could inches get pricey, be, okay. right? Yep. So a lot of times the big ones that I hear, they might spend $200 or more. Yearly but, or how often? The good news is that some of the treatments, uh, one of the ones is uh, two years. Uh, every two years, you would have to do that. Okay. And uh, and is it effective? Yes. So a lot of the products, I would highly recommend, if people are really interested in this, the Department of Agriculture has a great, 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 great uh, handout and, and website where people can look at homeowner options for emerald ash borer treatment. That has kind of all the information I'm talking about right now, plus more. Okay. So that really dives into how do they measure, how do they, you know, what products are available, how long it's effective, uh, and et cetera. But, you know, I would I would highly recommend people, you can call the office, call the extension office. I can refer you to that to you, or you can call uh, or go online for that as well. So do you do it preventively or do you only treat after it's, you right. know, you've got Good, it? Great question. So with... The best is preventative. Uh, there, there are situations where the tree might have emerald ash borer in it, but it could still be treated and, and be fine. There are some rules of thumb for that. If it loses a third or more of its canopy, so if the tree is thinning out by a third or more, it's usually too late. Uh. So there is some grace period, but it and better it's better to do prevention than to be curative. But but. If it's at that a certain point, it's beyond hope. And, if it's, and, yeah. Any arborist mm-hmm. would probably tell you that. Yeah, any any ethical arborist would be able to say, "Hey, look, this is this tree is too far gone." Now, the the that takes a quite a while before you start seeing canopy thinning. Okay. So some of the things where I tell people to watch out for are increased woodpecker activity. So when you start to see a lot of uh, what we call blonding where the the woodpecker will flick off parts of the bark of the ash tree and go for uh, the uh, grubs in the the larval stage of the emerald ash borer, you could see kind of patches of blonde uh, with with holes in them. Um, So that's probably going to be the first thing people will notice. If it progresses past that point, you might see bark splitting. And if you do see that bark splitting, a lot of times if you see squiggly lines that are shaped like an S, that's kind of the best way to say, uh-oh, you've got, you got emerald it. ash borer. Mm-hmm. What replacement trees do you recommend? I have, I happen to be an aficionado. I love ginkgos. Yeah. Do you yeah, think yeah. those are a good replacement tree? Because mm-hmm. I've planted a few, and now I don't mm-hmm. want to plant everything because, as we know, right, right now there's nothing really I guess significantly that's bothering them, so they're a good choice. Mm-hmm. But who knows? So, I, what are your opinions of that, and what other suggestions might you have for right. people that might want to replace those? Right. So, the University of Minnesota does have a great resource about recommended trees. Now, the the I would refer people to that too, and we also have a few articles about replacements for ash specifically. But as you said, ginkgo is a great choice. Ginkgo is is kind of a low maintenance, low fuss. 
uh, plant. I've only, I think I've only taken one technical service call about a ginkgo and it was about maybe an early frost. So that's probably the only thing that I've ever gotten calls about with ginkgos is that, you know, maybe it got a little too chilly uh, in the spring and, and they got nipped. But a lot of times they come back. It's not a huge issue. Not very many diseases. So ginkgo is a great option. There are other kind of trees that will work well in a residential situation. Um, they're disease-resistant elms that are available that you can that are not of, the Dutch elm that ones. are that are Dutch elm disease-resistant elms. Okay. So there are some that are uh, not much different from the American elms, except that they have they were fortunate to have some genetic resistance, and then there are hybrids, ones that were bred with resistant elm trees. So those those two uh, options would be great. Now, uh, other things that I've seen be successful are honey locusts, thornless honey locusts can work well in kind of a uh, residential area. Um, and then, you know, I I would be cautious about maples. You know, I've, especially silver maples, they are so messy right. and they are break yeah. so easily and so, but even they're talking about some of the maples being invasive now. Mm-hmm. Like the, is it the red maple or which a one? More, is a more maple is a the more. one that I, you do see occasionally. I've seen, there's one in not too far away from our office in Mankato. So there are certain restrictions on a more maple um, when you purchase those. They can't be, uh, they have to be a certain distance away from a natural area, I believe. Okay. Um, but there are other maples that I feel are not, Silver maple you mentioned has some unique issues uh, with residential. A lot of times you do see them, uh, but they're they're messy. They're messy. Uh, I would say the roots are they, the roots like to be on the surface and oh, cause yeah. some issues. And mm-hmm. to top it all off, a lot of times their wood is not the strongest. So if we have a really bad storm, they a lot break. of times they lose branches, things like that. Because in nature, uh, a silver maple would be kind of close to not too far away from a river but had some decent wind protection from its neighbors so you kind of think of that well what was this tree like in the wild right and if it uh there could be some instances where that can cause issues so any other trees you recommend i mean i've heard like beach and i've never really had a beach or seen Mm. a beach but yeah I'd, i'd have to do more looking at particular beaches but i would say birch trees i would be careful with again birch are shorter lived too aren't mm. they so i've had issues with folks with uh particularly river birches so a lot of birches are really sensitive to soil ph so a lot of times residential areas have seven or above in their soils and that's related to how the house may have been constructed and how the soil had moved um, so if you really want to plant that river birch I would make sure that you do a soil test uh, it doesn't have to be from the University of Minnesota but hey I'm not I'm gonna plug it there but uh, that could be very helpful that would inform your decision on whether putting a river birch would be adequate a lot of people tend to plant them in clumps that's not recommended a lot of times we want to try to train it so that there's one trunk really because i always thought that it was i mean they obviously look very nice in Mm -hmm. clumps so why is that not a good idea well i think in a lot of times over time as the uh the birch tree becomes older some of those suckers or whatever you want to call them will be out competed by one or more branches and a lot of times they'll get weak they'll get you know shaded out and it cannot look as good as it was planted back then. i've seen those yes i have Mm -hmm. seen those so that's kind of my two cents on, on, on birches. I would be cautious about planting them. Pin oaks also are kind of in the same situation where if you have a really high pH, alkaline oh. pH, that can cause some issues. 
um, and, and even with uh, other types of plants. So again, soil tests are great. If you get a soil test in front of you, you have a selection of trees and if you're, you can call the extension office, we can walk through and see which ones would work. A few years back, I did soil tests in various parts of my yard because I've been extensively gardening mm-hmm. and some places I have amended a lot more. I I think back to when I first started in the yard, how it was just clay, and I mean, right. it was just really tough, and now there's so much more organic matter, because I listen to Barb Lampson and have my, <laughs> my uh, compost pile, Always et cetera. Always yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, I learned about how much of the things I don't need to add to it, and really, my soil was pretty healthy all right. along. And I think back then, this is a few years back, it was $17 per sample. I don't know. Do you it's still $17 oh, it for a regular sample. Yep. Yeah. And I remember going out that basically you just take a shovel and you <laughs> take slices from the soil mm-hmm. at different parts and you mix it up in this bag. And uh, I, I can't remember, did I send it in or did I bring it somewhere? I, how do you, how you can it? do both. So there, there are, you can, if you're in the Twin Cities for whatever reason, maybe you're going to a Vikings game or you're going to the you know, the fair, if you're just in town, you can drop it off at the St. Paul campus. Oh, okay. Uh, But most people will mail it. Um, So the price is still $17 for a regular series is what they call it. So the regular kind of old test. And you're exactly right about, you know, looking at a soil test and saying, well, maybe I don't have to add that extra. Uh, That is particularly true with phosphorus. A lot of soils, particularly in residential areas, that may have been in turf grass for a really long time. You know, back in the day, a lot of times people would put a lot of phosphorus fertilizer and it's a little bit different from nitrogen. It doesn't tend to move as in the same way it as nitrogen. It builds up, doesn't it? It does build up. It, it binds tightly to soil. There are instances where, you know, uh, it can cause water quality issues. So a lot of times in Minnesota, there is a law for applying phosphorus fertilizer. You want to make sure that you have a test uh, if you're putting in a new lawn, there are some exceptions to it, but with phosphorus, that's kind of the one we worry about. How often should one do a soil test? In general, a soil test is good for about five years. Oh, okay. I need to do another yeah. one then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So sometimes things can change. Organic matter can change over a longer period of time. Uh, there could be some nutrients that are being taken up and maybe not replaced, and you might want to just keep a tabs on it. But in general, about five years is is, is good for residential kind of And garden. I noticed, I don't know if this is typical, but my soil was extremely alkaline, a 7.5 mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. an 8, mm-hmm. which is very alkaline. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty typical of southern Minnesota soil? I would say in residential areas, that that's oh. not doesn't surprise me. Um if you were to look at a farm field or if you were to go out to more rural areas, you're probably going to get around that seven to below. Why is that? It A lot of that had to do with, and, and it depends on the exact situation. Some soils are naturally alkaline. Um, it, is it clays more alkaline or is it necessarily? Well, not necessarily. So what happens is that the lower levels, if we were looking, so I'm breaking out my soil scientist hat. Yay. Uh, so if we go back in time, uh, a lot of... Uh, salts and things may have accumulated lower in the soil profile um, in certain layers. Mm -hmm. So when you do residential construction, you have people bulldozing, you have machines moving through, soils getting upturned. Well, they take all the good stuff off and leave the crap. Yeah, you can kind of think of it like that. And then they bring back stuff. So you've got like this little layer and then a hard Yeah, and that can cause issues with water movement. So a lot of times that's why you might see higher pH readings in a residential area because it's kind of 
an artifact of of what us humans were doing when we were building that house. <laughs> so so we have kind of made that mess we've ourselves. Caused, we've caused issues, yeah. Um, but you know, topsoil is one of those things where you really don't want to lose it. And wow. uh, you you bring in things from other places, and that may or may not be great. Sometimes there can be uh, diseases that come along with jumping that soil. Worms. Jumping worms Bad is things, one yep. good example. Um, other types of things. So. Again, I would urge, it's always good to have a soil test just to have it available. And, you know, it's really not a big investment. It's no. $17. It's, you might pay a little bit of shipping to send it to St. Paul. but Or you might be like me and you want to do different parts of the yard because different parts I consider mm-hmm. I have done different things through the years to them. So they're right. essentially a little bit different. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. So a lot of times there's a lot of great instructions. So if you, so if you, you can call the office, I can walk you through it. Or, you know, if you have... Uh, if you print it off the website from the University of Minnesota Soil Lab, on the back, that has a lot of great information that talks about those things. If you have areas that have been really differently managed over many years, that might be worth sending in two samples rather than one. Maybe I have one, the front yard, it's, you know, really clayey, but the backyard is more sandy. So those might be uh, good uh, reasons to send two instead of one. I, I think the first time I did it, I sent in five different areas. <laughs> Every garden bed, I'm like, how about this garden yeah, bed? How about yeah. that? You know, and and I found out I had a lot of organic matter, which mm-hmm. was from I That's think good. all the mm-hmm. the compost yeah. pile stuff mm-hmm. that I've been doing. The one thing I've done too is I bought a lot of soil amendments through the mm-hmm. years, and I continue to do that. I'm always so afraid now because of the the jumping worms and things mm-hmm. like that. Where should I get my um, compost or right. topsoil or things like that because there really hasn't been a good source in the past. I got it from, it used to be the Good Thunder site, which mm-hmm. now is back in operation, yep, by yep. the way. But I got some beautiful compost from there and I you know, had it in my gar- yard out at the lake right. and it's it's been doing very well. But then for a while there was nothing, so I was buying it by the bag full. Um, but I'm always nervous about what I'm getting and how do you know what you're getting because there, I also got some from uh, Farmer in Owatonna. It was a, a dairy mm-hmm. area and it had composted down to, So and it turned out to be good. It's in my, mm-hmm. I told you I planted 135 new hostas and that's basically <laughs> covered the area with yeah, that. Yeah. So how do you know? That's a great question. It's really hard to be 100% sure. I would really recommend folks that are buying uh, compost, particularly topsoil, Ask the person that you're buying it from uh, what steps they've taken to avoid, you know, do they have a plan to treat, to heat treat it or, or some way of treating it so that jumping worms are, are killed. Um, that may not be, it might be pretty rare to have somebody say, you know, yes, um, but it's always worth to, to check out and also keep an eye on what, we mentioned jumping worms and, and the I don't know if, if you've gone over this before, but jumping worms are really a newer kind of mm-hmm. problem for a lot of residential areas, particularly. N- uh, not more, by, or more in the metro. Right, you know, but yeah. it's kind of been spreading gradually. Yes. Uh, Faribault had it some. There's some in Blue Earth County now, just now. Mm. So a lot of times if you are looking for the signs and symptoms of a jumping worm infestation in that soil that you might be purchasing or that compost, that would be another way to kind of go about it. Yeah, because I um, got a quote from a landscape uh, person because I wanted some retaining wall put mm-hmm. in and that sort of thing. So one of the questions I asked him, I said, what do you do in terms of to know that your soil, cause is it, or where do you get your soil? Right. And he says, well, I get it from, and he told me a company. Mm-hmm. And I says, well, 
how do you know, how has it been treated so it doesn't have jumping worms? He goes, what? Mm -hmm. He had no clue what I was talking about. And I thought, I'm not going to hire somebody that doesn't understand the basics of that important thing. And I think that maybe is more common than not with a lot of companies. Right. I mean, this is a relatively new uh, critter. And uh, when I mentioned about signs and symptoms, a lot of times they'll describe it as coffee ground. Type. Yeah, it looks like it's coffee looks grounds. looks like it's coffee grounds. If you do find the critter itself, uh, it moves vigorously as a, oh, a very, it, very wiggly. Yeah. So, watch uh, the videos. They right. look creepy. Yes. And I would highly recommend you watch the videos. So the Department of Natural Resources in Minnesota has a great uh, website that talks about how to identify them because there's a lot of worms that look similar right. to a jumping worm. Uh, you know, it, it could be a, you know, if the jumping worm is sick or if something happened and it's not moving so well, it may <laughs> look like another type of worm. Yeah. I mean, it really uh, depends. So, of course, if you have a suspicious one that you find, in general, they start to become active in the summertime. A lot of times we get calls early in the spring where they think it's a jumping worm. Most of the time, those are, it's too. Too early. It's to too early to find a lot of those active critters. But one of the things that they do is they damage the soil structure, make it hard for plants to uptake nutrients. Uh, so it's unusual when you think about it. A lot of times uh, we think of earthworms as being, or most worms being beneficial for the soil. That may not, it's not always the case with jumping worms. Right. Yeah. So there's so many things to know, but, but I think my point was that you talk to the person that's mm -hmm. doing your work. Don't just randomly say just because it's in the yellow pages. Well, that that ages me, dates me, I guess. But yellow pages. That, uh, and I have the same thing with people who go out and prune trees. It's just because you have a saw or a chainsaw does not make you <laughs> know what you're doing. Because there are so many people yep. that I've seen. Because uh, I'm, I'm a. They call me the rogue pruner because I go around and prune trees in my neighborhood with permission, of course. Oh yeah. But. Um, and I've learned how to do it. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I, I mostly kind of know what I'm doing. But I'll see tree companies and I think, what in the world are they doing? <laughs> and so I think that's why I, I always ask the question, do you have an arborist on staff? Right, right. So uh, there are treesaregood.org, I believe, is the link. I have to double check. Oh, treesaregood.org? Okay. Yeah, it, that you can. So the University of Minnesota Extension, we like to recommend people that are certified by the International Society of Arboriculture. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, what we mean when we say certified arborist. So they have to take uh, tests, uh, training. Stay up to date. Ethics. So is, does that mean that you're, you know, they're always going to be 100% on the No, but it, it gives a, like an added layer of, of security when you're dealing with a person. Now, of course, if you don't need, you may not need a certified arborist for every tree related issue, but you still want to make sure that those people have good references, that they're insured, they're bonded, because if an accident happens, uh-oh, you know, things can go sour in a hurry. So we have some more resources about that on our website as well on, on the University of Minnesota Extension about what to look for when you're trying to hire a tree person. And, you know, at the end of every show, Barbara, and I always say, if you want more information, call your extension service. So yep. right now we've got with us Shane Bouchea. Uh -huh. Did I say it right? You got it. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, I've been pronouncing your name wrong for so long on the air. Oh, I apologize. Right. Bouchea. <laughs> and he is the Lesseur and the Blue Earth County yep. Extension Agent. How can they call you? Since I've got you here, you can actually give the number or tell us how you, we can get info from you right. directly. So, you know, I always, I, I'm going to try to find, okay, I got it. I'm, I'm so on top of it because I don't may not know my own kind of number. I know, but, that's funny. Um, so you can call the, the, what we should get, the Blue Earth County or Lesseur County. Whichever one you 
let's somebody let's, answers. We're all in the time. Blue Earth County today, so I'll give you the okay. Blue Earth County uh, number. But you can call at 507-304-4325. Yep, or look um, up the extension. Or look agent. it up. We'll be, and if you're in Lesseur County, you can you can look me up too. I'm, I'm on their webs on the Lesseur County Extension Do website. You go between sites then? Is yes, that- I yeah. So oh. I I'm half time. Okay. So I move around. So sometimes I'm in the center and sometimes I'm just a couple blocks away in Mankato. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. We'll be having Shane a couple more times while Barb is off. And we appreciate because you obviously cover a lot of different topics and your knowledge is greatly appreciated. Oh, thank you. It was great to be here. All right. Thank you.